We've got a quarterback update for you between Tommy DeVito and Garrett Schrader. Also, an alliance, Tim. Big 10, ACC, Pac-12. They're getting together a meeting of the minds. And we've also got our countdown of defensive backs. That is coming up next on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. You are Locked on Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on in to the Locked on Syracuse podcast. Tyler Aki, Tim Leonard, we're with you every single weekday. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now YouTube. Check us out there. If you're watching the show, you can live chat along with it as well when we air them every single day. We'd love to have you along. Be sure to hit that subscribe button too, trying to grow that subscriber count now. It's very, it's in its infancy, Tim, but once upon a time, we were in our infancy, and now we're starting to, to get up there and, and, <laughs> and look at us now. Look at us now. I, I, who, who's the actor that says that? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but uh, Paul Rudd. Paul um, Rudd that I, I don't know. Yeah, but I think it was him, but... Look at us now. We're talking all things quarterback battle today. Also, we're going to get into the alliance between the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the ACC. The what does it mean for Syracuse? In yeah, air quotes I mean, here. alliance. I, I think I think the uh, the C should be taken out and turned into a, or you can turn it into like the sense sign because that's what this is. Sure. That's really what this is. This is more of a, a life raft than an alliance, I feel like, but we will talk about all that in just a little bit. Also, we've got our defensive back countdown coming up later on in the show. Uh, I also want to remind you, NFL season about to begin, and nobody covers it like the Locked On Podcast Network. August 30th through, through September 8th, Locked On's ultimate season preview is taking you through every team and every division with the help of Odyssey's lineup of NFL experts. Follow the ultimate season preview 2021 feed on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast to tune in beginning August 30th. All right. So we got a, a real quarterback kerfuffle, I feel like, here at Syracuse. Stephen Fonte putting out the tweet yesterday talking with Dino Babers and basically saying there is going to be plays and packages, essentially, for Garrett Schrader throughout the season, and we'll see what the depth of it looks like. But he also said we're not really going to know what Garrett Schrader is until we see him in game play. And it almost gets into the, the misfortune of a couple things here. A, there is no preseason in college football. I think this battle would have, I don't want to say figured itself out, but I think you would have had a pretty good sense of what it would have looked like had there been a preseason for college football. Yeah, I think Garrett Trader is the type of player that you really don't know what you have in him until you get to see him in live game action. And Dino right. has said that. He said that basically that's why they want to throw him out there. I did kind of feel like Dino might do this or might play both quarterbacks at times. He's kind of done in the past. When you think about Dungy and DeVito that one year, he was pretty open to the idea of incorporating DeVito into games that Dungy was in. I know some of those were just because Dungy was playing poorly, but there's also the NC State game where it came after right. the quarterback battle. And DeVito still played a significant series in that game. And it wasn't like a Dungy benching. It was just him trying to still figure out who was the guy. Now we know what happened. It was Eric Dungy who made the right call in the end, but he did it. He talked about it, Arizona in 1998. I think he was the OC or a significant role yeah. in that mm -hmm. offense. And that team was number four in the country. Now he's candid and says it doesn't always work out this way. And he even joked about how people throw out the, if you have two quarterbacks, you even have one sane, but I, it doesn't shock me that he's going this route. I thought this was a decent possibility from the get go. 
A couple of things there. The the whole 1998 thing that he yeah. brought up. I mean, <laughs> football's played a lot differently now than it was in 1998. Sure. I don't, I, and that's one of the things when you've got guys who have been around the game for as long as Dino have, and it's not just a Dino thing. This is an every coach thing. The game evolves. The game can pass you by at times. You're just hoping to sometimes stay along with it and make sure you're not the reason and the the ways that you coach football in the 90s hold you back from adapting to what it's like in the 2020s. So to that, it is what it is. We'll see how it plays out. But in terms of the uh, the situation of you have two quarterbacks, you have none, I don't think that's necessarily the case in college. That's more of a professional sports yes, thing because yeah. in college, it's always a retooling as opposed to rebuilding. At least that's the way successful programs run. And so I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I think with Garrett Schrader, and this is really just a running quarterback thing in general, it's very tough to showcase your abilities in practice. Yep. When A, you can't hit the quarterback. B, in the early stages of preseason, I look at it in preseason football right now, Trey Lance and Justin Fields are not showing you a lot of what their legs can do and how their legs can impact their ability to throw the football right now. Because guess what? Matt Nagy and Kyle Shanahan are not drawing up plays that could get their quarterback killed. You do not want to use a lot of designed runs in the preseason. And I think that might be something that's holding Garrett Schrader back right now in practice because he can't get hit. The more you think about it, the more it feels like Garrett Schrader was in a very unenviable position here. He was in a very tough position yeah. to insert himself as QB one. And he even said that. I remember we talked about his quotes where he basically sounded defeated a little bit, or he yeah. was admitting that, look, like Tommy's way ahead of me in terms of knowledge of the offense. I'm in a tough spot. The other thing to keep in mind here, and this is something that I took away from Dino's quotes in his press conference that was yesterday, if you're listening the day we dropped this, but where he talked about how it's one thing to do it in practice. You got to do it in the game. That's you yeah. get touched in practice. Was it a tackle? Was it not? Let's see if you can produce in the game. Everything we hear about Tommy DeVito, and even when you see some of the practices that media have seen and they report about it, they say he looks great in practice. Players say he looks great in practice. Yeah. Let's see if he can bring it to a game. And that's why I think Dino is definitely admitting that, yes, as practice stands right now, where Garrett Trader can't run, he doesn't know the offense as well as Tommy, 13, as he called it, is in the lead. Tommy DeVito is probably in the lead, but he'd be naive to not at least acknowledge that DeVito in practice in the first four years versus DeVito in the game has been two different players. It's the kid who does his homework and gets a lot of homework points in school versus the kid who does well on the test. At the end of the yep. day, your silly little homework assignments aren't going to get you a, a PhD or a master's degree or a bachelor's degree. It's yeah. what you it's do the Alan on Iverson. the test. We're talking about right. practice. Like, yeah, exactly. It doesn't you matter. Can only, <laughs> you can only glean so much from it. And it's fantastic. Yeah. But guess what? If you could throw for 300 yards in practice, no one cares. No mm -hmm. one cares. You have to go out and show that you can throw for 300 yards in the game and lead your team down the field and, and execute winning football drives. And we haven't seen that out of Tommy DeVito. And I know some people may hear the, the rumblings of Garrett Schrader and the footsteps that may, he may or may not be actually presenting right now and say, you know, it's a little unfair to Tommy that he's been given this competition. Well, to that, I but Tommy, you've had four years to take the reins job. All right. It, it's unfair to Dino Babers that he's had to wait as long sure. to have this sort of solidity. And you can say what you want. Offensive line, it's all valid. But 
when the excuses are starting to dwindle, and, and let's say Garrett Schrader gets his chance and looks lights out and uses his legs to evade a couple sacks, it's going to make Dino Baber's job extremely easy to pick QB2 to be the new QB1. I, I think this is a positive, what Dino said. Now, I'm probably not pro playing two quarterbacks in the same game. I'm not totally anti it like some other people would be. I right. think you brought up a good point in the college to NFL difference. But I took this as Tommy is looking good in practice, but Dino realizes Tommy in practice versus Tommy in the game is two separate people. I think there's no doubt that if we dropped an alien onto a Syracuse practice for the first time, they had never seen anything and they watch Tommy DeVito do a practice and Garrett Trader do a practice, they'd probably be like, oh, yeah, so DeVito's the starter. He can throw downfield. Mm -hmm. He looks poised. He knows the offense. Schrader's not that great of a passer maybe compared to him. It's pretty obvious that DeVito should win the job. It's just if you're Dino Babers in a, as big of a year as you have right now, you can't be counting on Tommy DeVito at quarterback given what he's done in the game recently. And it has been because he's been hurt in offensive line. There's been excuses, but still, I took this as a positive. I took it as Garrett Schrader deserves to be in the game. That's a positive. Garrett Schrader looks pretty good. He looks as advertised. And we could use him if Tommy DeVito does struggle again this year. It's really a shame the way that the schedule sets up this year, in my opinion, because it would have been nice to have Albany out of the shoot followed by Ohio, just a gradual buildup into what is eventually Rutgers, right? So that right. way you can treat those first two games as almost preseason games, and the only people that are upset maybe about the outcome of it is the, the win total holders, right, at betonline.ag. So that would have been perfect, and you treat that as your preseason. You see what Garrett can do in real game action against a team wearing a different uniform, that would have been the perfect scenario. Unfortunately, you've got a power five opponent week two, and I know the, the Rutgers jabs have been out there, but guess what? This is a much improved Rutgers team from a couple years ago. Greg Schiano knows how to game plan, and it's not ideal for figuring out who should be yeah. the starting quarterback, I feel like. And Ohio's favorite in game one. I mean, they're not a, a cupcake right. for yeah. sure. So mm -hmm. the other thing is, you could we could be seeing Dino playing some gamesmanship here. Like it wouldn't shock me if this is mostly a smokescreen and DeVito is mostly the guy, except for like one series for Schrader. Because if you're Ohio and you hear Dino Baber say, Oh yeah, Garrett Schrader's looked really good and DeVito, and we're gonna play both of them, that makes your job harder. That makes it tougher to prepare right. for Syracuse when you have to prepare for a running quarterback plus a throwing quarterback and you don't have a ton of film on Schrader, all that. So there could be some gamesmanship here. All right, we'll continue to watch the quarterback battle throughout the week. And we'll get to the uh, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12 Alliance in just a second. But first, I want to tell you about betonline.ag. You know, it's that time of the year again. All eyes turn to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at betonline.ag. Got to get in on that right now. So head on over to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive your 100% welcome bonus when you punch in our promo code locked on. Again, that's promo code locked on for a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champ 
champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite casino games. Don't forget to wait and take advantage of the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sports book experts. All right, let's dive into a little bit of this Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC alliance, because it was a, a strange press conference. The, all the three of the commissioners were on it. They were kind of dabbling around the fact that, hey, we might be screwed if we don't team up here. And this is, it almost feels, I'm not going to say it feels like scary times in, in college sports. It's just an evolving time in college sports. And evolution and change can be a scary thing for a lot of people, but if you're Syracuse and you're the ACC right now, this merger of sorts that's that's happening, really good for you because you cannot be on the outside looking in. You do not want to be the Big 12, the Big East, the AAC. Those are not enviable positions right now. No. <laughs> the Big 12 is really in a tough spot, and you have to right. wonder how much longer the Big 12 is a prominent conference past like 2025 when they lose Texas and Oklahoma. I do think it's good for Syracuse. It's good for the ACC that they've latched on to something. It gives them more leverage, I would say. It tilts the scales a little bit more so that the SEC isn't the dominant figure that no one wanted that to happen. I think that's the big reason. I mean, they laid out and we yeah. joked about inclusivity and, and diversity, and, and that's all great, and I hope that they do that stuff. But at the end of the day, the number one bullet and the number one reason here that they will not acknowledge is – they want to combat the SEC, and they want to make this so that the SEC isn't at the top and it's everyone else. And I think they did that by forming together in this alliance. I don't necessarily know if it means a whole lot for Syracuse, though, besides the fact that they now have more leverage from their conference, which is a positive, and they're maybe going to have more games against the Pac-12 opponents. Like It doesn't change a ton. I think it's a little overhyped how much it will change each individual school. Here's one thing that I think changes, okay? Certainly with Jim Phillips at the helm in charge of the ACC and some of the other conferences that you're teaming up with here, football's first. And I think the the democracy of the ACC, it look, it's going to look a lot more like a House of Representatives versus a Senate, where there's two senators versus the House of Reps. It's kind of based on the population. Syracuse doesn't have a lot of football cachet. So how important will Syracuse's voice and John Wildhack's voice be in a lot of these discussions that are happening now? It feels like Syracuse from getting their personal agendas across, they may not be taken as seriously because they are not a football power and they are not thought of really when you put together this conglomerate of schools, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, Syracuse is probably in the bottom third in terms of leverage and power when you think about it from a football perspective. Yeah, I think it's funny because you're definitely right. They want to be pro they want to be football first here and that's how every conference should be operating for money reasons and this probably helps the ACC in their deal with the ESPN uh, networks and all that in the TV deal because we know that wasn't a great deal. Maybe this now allows them to have a little bit more leverage when they're reconfiguring that deal. It's going to mean that I they'll probably all yeah, it's cr I, I, I was completely unaware of what it was. And they brought up that everything is sort of they're going to do things within the structure of the deals that are currently in place. They don't want to impede on some of them. 
Okay. The ACC yeah. network deal was a 20 year deal that was signed in 2019. The yeah, ACC terrible. could take a while to, to really indoctrinate themselves into this, this alliance here. And, and I think that could end up posing some problems down the line. I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit odd at how the whole thing's going to play out unless you saw the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And, and we kind of hit on this, too, when we initially talked about this. But yeah. you're teaming up with two Fox entities right now. And I'm wondering if that is going to – you're going to see a little bit of a shift there and maybe those two conferences kind of become more ESPN-aligned. That, that, to me, is an interesting little wrinkle because – ESPN is also an ABC and Disney is picking up mm -hmm. the SEC package too. So like this yeah, could ACC, be an ESPN mega deal right here. Right. The ACC media rights deal is a huge kerfuffle. Whoever signed it, I guess it was uh, the old commissioner Swafford. I don't really know the details, but it was a big mistake because they're really behind he just the eight wanted ball. wanted to turn on his, his spectrum and, and see uh, like Duke and, and Georgia Tech battle it out in football. That's what he yeah. wanted to see. Well, it did help them get the ACC network deal, which was great. And that was one of his achievements before he left. Swafford was the ACC network needed to happen. It was probably overdue to happen. And it's worked out decently yeah. well, it seems like. But the 20 years that you signed to when every time that a media rights deal is being re-upped, it is going exponentially up in money because that's really all the cable networks have to offer right now is live sports. Everything else that's is only leverage. Be, yeah, mm -hmm. on demand. So and yeah, ACC Network, I believe, deal. I just saw as part of Comcast now, too. I think I saw Brent Axe oh, really? tweeting about that earlier, which, I mean, in the Northeast region, that's a big deal. Yeah. Also, shout out to Brent Axe, because I hadn't thought about this, but he talked about, all right, now are we going to get Syracuse-Washington? Because right, yeah, that's the big happened, which buzzword. So from a hoops perspective, here's what you're looking at here, okay? They announced that they're going to be looking at scheduling a lot of these interconference games and even some MTEs. That's an old buzzword that I thought we were burying during the pandemic, but uh, <laughs> no, no, multi-team no. event is officially back. So that to me, I find that super intriguing. I also kind of think of it to myself as well in, in the sense that don't we kind of already have that? Right. Like the That's Champions Classic is usually a Big Ten and an ACC. They, they I feel like, take up two or three of the spots anyway. You've got the ACC Big Ten Challenge already intact. I don't know. Is it going to turn into a three-team challenge now with the Pac-12 where you're shuffling Maybe. all these different teams around and Wake Forest doesn't have to sit out every single year or Boston College isn't left uh, watching from home? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like, but that's. I think it's that's a good why thing. When, right. It's a good thing, but when I say that it, what does it really mean – I was talking to someone about that and they're like, oh, well, now scheduling, that's a huge difference. Maybe they'll play some West Coast games. Maybe and it's like maybe they'll do some challenges. Well, they already were doing the ECC Big Ten Challenge. Like, do you right. have to form an alliance to really do those challenges? I think the biggest thing is right. it just combats the SEC and it allows 41 schools to vote together in unison on something. So, for example, yeah. the college football playoff expansion which there were some interesting quotes from each of the commissioners saying that they were kind of actually pro playoff expansion, but they just need to read through it more and see the details. I would think just guessing that they would not want playoff expansion now because it feels like the more they expand the playoff, the more the SEC gets power because more SEC schools will be in a hypothetical 12 team playoff. But 
I, I do think playoff expansion is probably good for the sport because it brings more TV dollars to some more big games. And that's a huge part of this is now if Syracuse does play Washington, which we joke about, but or even if they play USC or some some big it's more marquee games can be on the calendar now, which is more eyeballs, which more leverage for your next media rights deal. You don't want to be a non-power five right now. And I think the ACC's no. voting, it was noted that Jim Phillips says we have not made a decision on how we're voting yet. And I think that's significant because their vote should be centered on what will bring Notre Dame into the conference. That's what it has to come down to ultimately. And to be frank with you, I don't know what that answer is. There may not be that answer out there of, I don't know if you have an opinion on that, but do you feel like voting either way necessarily brings Notre Dame in? Because at the crux of it, that's what your vote is essentially yeah, I still think it's priority number one for the ACC to get Notre Dame involved because then their media rights deal can be reconfigured and it's just Notre Dame. It it brings a lot of eyeballs. Don't see why Notre Dame would do it really. But yeah, I, I don't know one way or the other what Notre Dame would be rooting for. I guess they'd be rooting for the expansion because... That's what I would if you, guess, yeah. Yeah. If there's if you buys in your involved... Head, yeah. Right. They're usually a top 12 team. They're just usually never good enough to win it right now. And that's become the joke. Right. With them. Right. Yeah. I would guess they would want the 12 just because of the fact that a you'll be in it every single year. Like Notre Dame's never really out of the top 12. Right. And on top of that, if they were to join the ACC, that could lead to a buy, which I mean, I guess the counterpoint for Notre Dame is listen, we're good enough to beat up on whoever team number 11 is so we can that that we feel like that is our buy but it, it's certainly tough it's certainly tough i'm looking forward to seeing how it plays i don't know whoa because yeah. the fascinating thing of this all is the all three of the commissioners were like yeah we don't need a, a written agreement we're just kind of this is a yeah, they're little, not signing like, anything <laughs> like kevin warren might have his fingers crossed behind his back right now and be like oh Sorry, guys, we're, we're joining the SEC now. See ya. And that's the mega conference. I, I don't know how this is going to play out. I wish I had answers for you, but it's going to be fascinating theater regardless. When we come back, we will continue our defensive back countdown. We're going to double up for you here today. We'll give you number four and number three. We'll reveal who those are next. But before that, I want to tell you guys about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. And I don't say that lightly. It is literally my favorite protein bar out there. They are delicious. They have nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavors. You can get coconut, coconut almond, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, which is our personal favorite on the show, double chocolate, salted caramel. If you like protein bars or if you're looking to get more into protein bars, I'm telling you, Built Bar is the one for you. Not only are they the best tasting, but they are healthy as well. Most of the flavors have 17 grams protein, only 130 calories, only four grams sugar, and only four grams net carbs. It is good for you, and it tastes delicious. You can go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code. That's LOCKED15, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that promo code is LOCKED15, LOCKED15, for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, so let's continue now with our most important defensive back countdown. We're going to give you number four and number three since we skipped out because of the big news on Monday after Kamari Lands decommitted. If you missed any of our thoughts on that, 
be sure to go subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Check out the episodes. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well. We'd love to, to have you along for the YouTube ride, which is a lot of fun. New thing for Tim and I here on the show. But I think I feel like number four and number three are almost interchangeable to the point where yeah. it makes sense that we double them up here on the show. My personal number four is Jihad Carter. And my personal number three is Jason Simmons Jr. I don't know if, if you shuffled that, that at all, but... Yeah. Okay, so we're kind of in alliance here. We're like the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC here. But let's start with Carter, okay, our number four. I view him very similarly as I do Rob Hanna, as in freshman, probably a little unfair, but got thrown into the fire. I would say he was a little more ready than Rob Hanna, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to say that was a glowing endorsement either on my behalf of assessing his play from a season ago. He started in 10 games, played in all 11 a season ago. Um, but really, it's a lot of the same issues that Rob Hanna had, tackling a big one of them. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. Rob Hanna was number one in missed tackles. Number two is Jihad Carter. So the tackling needs to shore itself up for, for Carter this upcoming season. Yeah, tackling needs to be better all across the football field or yeah. the defensive side of the football field for Syracuse. But you're definitely right. They missed a lot of tackles back there against good competition. They were inexperienced. They're now stronger, all that. I think Jihad Carter, and we talked about this, we did a, a pod recently where we tabbed breakout offensive players, breakout defensive players. I believe we were both in agreement that Carter could be a defensive guy. And that's something when we had Stephen Bailey on. He brought up Carter's name. The way that teammates talk about him gets me very encouraged that I feel like he probably has an even higher ceiling than Rob Hanna. While they are pretty similar and they're at similar points in their career, I just feel like Carter has the, a lot of potential to be that Garrett Williams guy this year. I don't want to put it on him. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that that's going to happen every year, but it does feel like he has that in him, and it feels like he is that defensive player that is ready to pop. He could be that big play guy for you, almost like what Cisco is. And I don't want to compare him to Cisco. I'm not calling him a future All-American. Yeah. But he was around the ball, five pass deflections a season ago to go along with two interceptions. He kind of have a, had a knack for the incredible. Remember that interception he had against Georgia Tech? He flips it to Trill Williams. That was, that was awesome. the play yeah. of the year for me last year. That was when I think <laughs> yeah. of that Syracuse football team. And, and listen, it's a spectacular play, all right? It, regardless of how the rest of the season went, that is one that you will never forget. They'll flip to Trill Williams because, I mean, you got to say, the, the intestinal fortitude of a true freshman to make that play and flip it to a teammate while he's being wrapped up, that takes some guts, man. Like, that's not something that true freshmen usually are willing to do. Yep. He's definitely a guy that, Checks all the boxes in terms of being a breakout player this year. We'll see if it happens. The other guy, Jason Simmons, who's number three on our list, I really am excited about him for a lot of the same reasons. It seems like he's getting glowing reviews in camp. It seems like he's come in with the right attitude. He understands, yeah, I might not be a key contributor week one, but I'm just going to do whatever I can. I'm going to play wherever they tell me to play, and I'm going to be that versatile guy in the secondary, maybe like Trill Williams, maybe not quite as good again. Don't want to throw that on him, but still – it feels like he's getting good reviews from players and he's come in with the right attitude, which is exciting to see because they really need him. I was really think that he was probably underlooked a little bit in terms of offseason additions. There was adding some new coaches. There was adding Garrett Trader. There's a lot of different things that happened this offseason. Guys have now left that have been added. 
Jason Simmons is right up there in terms of biggest newcomers to be added. And he's a very intriguing player to watch on week one. I'm fascinated with him because of something that Dino said the other day and something that you and I have echoed a lot. Positional versatility. He seems like a guy that can do that. And we talked about him on our breakout defensive guys as well. He almost reminds me a little bit of Trill. He might be able to play all the different positions that you ask him on that 3-3-5 defense from the, the five perspective for the defensive backs, whether it's free safety, strong safety, rover. Maybe he can even play a little corner for you. Who knows? I think the defensive flexibility that he brings to this team is going to get him on the field. He may not be a yep. starter on the week one depth chart. He will be a starter, I would guess, by week three, four, five. Yes. So I think he's too good to not crack it. And I would say he is at the top of my list in terms of guys that I will be watching very closely week one. And I'll also be very keen to see where he falls on that depth chart. You're right. He probably might not be a starter, but I still want to see where he's slotted. Is it Rover? Is it free safety? Is it somewhere else in the secondary? And I want to know how he is used week one. I think we're obviously concerned about the offensive line. That'll be something we're all monitoring, but Defensive backs is maybe number two as a group that will I'll be very intrigued to see how they line up, how they play. There are some new pieces there. There are some pieces that are coming back with limited experience. There are some pieces that are coming back from injury. I think of Neil Nunn, Ben LaBrosse, how will they be used? So it's a very intriguing group. And he comes from a, a football family, too. Uh, his yeah, father right. played in the NFL, is a coach now with the Carolina Panthers, spent a lot of time on the Green Bay staff as well, coaches the defensive backs. So He's got Which I think is noteworthy. On. That's noteworthy because on one at first I was like, oh man, he didn't play at all last year. New Mexico State sat out because of COVID reasons. Maybe he's going to be rusty, right. but he was working with his dad. You'd have to assume, which is a pretty right. good console, like a pretty good secondary it's better option. Than there. What most people will get, like it almost reminds me of we talked about with, with Buddy Beheim, right? How we thought Buddy Beheim could have a huge season because he was he literally has a gym at his house. And mm -hmm. he's getting trained by Eric Devendorf, one of the better players we've seen come out of the Big East. That is a recipe for success and taking advantage of the pandemic with resources that not everyone else has. And that's something that Jason Simmons had. Another little tidbit that I found interesting when I was looking through his New Mexico State numbers, he started in 11 games as a true freshman. You know who his first ever start came against? Who? Alabama and Tua Tungavailoa. Wow. Like, and he Dang. got thrown in. And guess what? He kind of held his own when you look at some of yeah, the he pro was football focus stuff. So he's going up. He's playing against some of the best competition. And this was before Tua had the injury that season, too. So he's going against really good teams, even though he was in the Mountain West. And a couple good teams that come out of the Mountain West. Like San Diego State, you see them pop every once in a while. Boise State, obviously. Um, but... He had the ability to go up against some good talent throughout the season. Yeah. And the fact that he didn't flinch as a true freshman, it reminds me a little bit of what we've saw out of Garrett Williams, even though he wasn't necessarily a true freshman, but he didn't flinch when the moment came. And that to me says a lot about you. And maybe that's the coach's kid in him. I don't know, but I I'm super excited. I think that Jason Simmons may not be the most talented, but he might be one of the more cerebral guys that you see in the secondary. No doubt. In the way that we talked about yesterday, how it was a little misleading that it was a Texas transfer, Willie Tyler, Arizona State transfer. Yeah. It's misleading in a good way, I think, that he's New Mexico State because 
Yeah. A, you talked about how he was really good as a freshman. B, it seems like some other schools really wanted him that were probably better schools than Syracuse, but he had a relationship with the Syracuse coaching staff and it just worked out well. And Syracuse had somewhat of a relationship with him as well. So it seems like we should be thinking about him more than just a New Mexico State transfer. Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for us here on this Wednesday Locked on Syracuse podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. We've got a special treat for you guys. Matthew Gutierrez, he's back. He's actually going to be coming to us from a van. He's vanning around the country right now. So <laughs> we'll get into his van endeavors and all that good stuff on tomorrow's show. We'll also hear from him on Friday. We'll talk all things Kamari Lands. We'll talk about Syracuse recruiting. He'll answer one of the bigger debates that Tim and I have had on this show in recent memory. But how many high school players will this Syracuse team add? I think it's going to be under the three and a half that I've arbitrarily set between the two of us. Tim thinks it'll be four or more potentially. So we'll see what Goody thinks about that. We'll also get into maybe a couple football nuggets here or there as well. So be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Also on YouTube because you can watch the show now as well. So for Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you guys with Goody tomorrow. Goody.